It's good to be here, and I was really honored when, uh, when Pastor Brett asked me to uh, speak on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And so I'm going to bring the word to you. We're going to be in John. Oh, I am so glad. Thank you. This is my wife, Julie. Okay, I got to tell you something. I have this iPad. I got the wrong iPad. I'm thinking, this is not my iPad. It doesn't look like this. It's asking for a code. I don't... It was... Okay, I was freaking out. I was really, really freaking out. <laughs> but again, honored to be here. Let's pray as we get into the Word. Lord, <laughs> thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Uh, Lord, for your Word, it is your voice to us. You know that we need to hear from you, and we know you speak to us through your Word. And so, Lord, we, we give you our hearts right now, our minds and all those things, Lord, that we are dealing with, good or bad, we, we commit them to you now because we know you work all these things out for your good and glory. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll turn to John, John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and we're going to be uh, looking at verses uh, 15 through 19. And we're going to be talking about something that we've all dealt with, uh, fear, failure. And I think, you know, it's always great to talk about success and, you know, what God is doing in our lives, what he has done in our lives. And, and it's nice, you know, when we can, you know, just say all those really positive things. Uh, we all like that. We all love success. But, you know, you really find out who you are in Christ when you see how you deal with failure or how you are maybe in the most darkest time of your life, that is really how strong you are in the Lord. And so we're going to look at Peter, we're going to look at his, uh, just kind of what he went through. But before we get to uh, John 21, it has been said by researchers that one of the human being's greatest fears are the fear of failure or having someone else's iPad up on the stage uh, before you're ready to teach. But dream analysts tell us that the most common dream are anxiety dreams, where there is an event of failure, maybe it's a job interview, or your speech you're going to be making. It's something that in, you know, takes you out of your, your comfort zone. And because you might be facing something like that, there could be anxiety that comes with it because you are afraid that you might fail, that you might let somebody down. But let's face it, since we were born in this world, we have failed. And none of you probably remember your first step that you took, but you probably fell over and over and over again. How about when you first maybe swam? If you're a swimmer, you got into that pool and it probably terrified you or you stayed by the side until you started going out more and more and more. So, or maybe the first ball that was thrown your way, did you hit it? Probably not. And uh, how about the first test that you took or being in high school or college or grade school? Did you get straight A's on everything you did? And if you did, we don't want to talk to you about that. We don't like you very much. But it's failure. It's, it's, part of our, it's part of our lives. And even our Lord and Savior uses failure to actually strengthen us and put us in a place where we do succeed. 
But, you know, also the failure of maybe letting somebody down, letting a spouse down, maybe your boss, a coworker. And when failure happens, uh, we feel pretty rotten with ourselves, depending on what has happened. Well, James 3.2 says this, We all stumble in many ways. And 1 John 1.8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's really good news. And now for the Apostle Peter, who failed the Lord on that night, three times denying the Lord, he was at a very, very low point, especially being one of the most outspoken in the group. And if you're, gonna, if you're an outspoken person, you're an extrovert, you do a lot of chatting back and forth, just know people are going to come back with things that you might have said, or you said this, or you said that. You know, if you're an introvert, you don't say much. And believe it or not, you take me away from here. I'm an introvert. I don't want to say much because I know it might be used against me sometime. So I'm very quiet about things. But he is dealing with a spiritual failure, Peter. And maybe the worst kind of failure, if you really think about it, he denied that he even knew Jesus. And now for Peter, his failure became a turning point for victory in his life. And that is what we're going to learn from failure and to become victorious and be successful through it. But it's hard when you're right in the midst of it. When you're in the midst of failure or a very dark time, it's very difficult to have that view. In fact, even sometimes your greatest encouragers, people that kind of come and surround you and love you and say, hey, I'm praying for you, or they pray for you right there, they say encouraging words to you, it, it doesn't even make you feel better sometimes when you're in that place. So the theme of my message or title of my message is, I failed. Now what? I just thought that, that was appropriate. So what are the elements of being restored? So Peter denied the Lord over a fire, if you recall, and Jesus restores Peter over a fire that he built on the shores of Galilee, and he made breakfast. So now what you and I are about to read is a conversation between Jesus and Peter. They're the only ones doing the dialogue. They're the ones who are engaging in this conversation, and yet there are disciples all around them at this time, probably thinking or looking over Peter's shoulders or looking over Jesus' shoulders and kind of entering into this, hearing this conversation. So we get the advantage of the readers to eavesdrop and see what our Lord is going to say to Peter. And so we're going to go back and we're going to look at three elements that Jesus restores us uh, when we have fallen, when we have failed, when we have been forsaken or we have forsaken somebody. And the first one is to love Christ completely. Now I'm going to qualify that, but love Christ completely. And that's one of the things he does when he's restoring our love for him. So let's look at John 21. We'll pick it up at verse 15 and we'll read down to verse 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. 
Verse 16, and he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So here's the question I have. Why did Jesus have this conversation with Peter as others were listening? Why not privately? Well, we're going to find out he actually did privately. This sounds like a conversation that you have with somebody one-on-one, and, you know, especially not when people are listening. It's easy to get embarrassed or humiliate, humiliated when somebody's saying something to you and there are people around. Well, first of all, according to Scripture... We believe that it had already happened, that private conversation, and that there had been this private meeting between Peter and the Lord. In fact, Luke 24, 34 says this, the Lord had risen and had appeared to Simon. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul said, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500. So we believe there was this private meeting between Peter and Jesus before the public meeting, and probably, presumably, they hatched everything out. So why does he bring it up again, and why does he deal with it publicly? Now, I believe Peter denied Jesus. I believe it's because he denied him publicly. He did it to people that were watching. And the Lord allows Peter to confess and be restored publicly. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. I love this. A man's repentance must be as notorious as his sin. And since it was a public denial, it required a public confession and a public restoration, but of course without just humiliation. So when you don't have restoration... Yes, it is humiliation, and none of us likes that feeling. So I believe our public, our public, be it our family, be it our friends, be it the family of God, is important sometimes for them to hear our sin or to hear our misunderstanding, especially if they have stumbled over our actions. I mean, sometimes we may not even know we stumbled somebody, but we do. We can And we may have made it right with God, but sometimes we are called to make it right with our family, with our friends, with the family of God. And that's what I believe is going on here with Peter. Now you'll notice in in verse 15, 16, and 17 of John 21 that there are three questions, or really the same question, asked three times. And if you look a little more carefully, you'll notice that there are three parts to each each question. There is a question itself, followed by a reaction of Peter, followed by a commission of Jesus. Now, it's very important that we notice that commission of Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Now, notice he calls him Simon. He doesn't call him Peter, but he calls him Simon. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but that must have hurt Peter to some extent because when he met Jesus, Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means small stone or rock 
That was an endearing name for Peter. And Simon's old name meant hearing. Now, that doesn't seem like a bad name, hearing. That's his name. But it would be like somebody who's known you for a long, long time, and they've called you by your first name. You know, hey, Pete, hey, Sue, hey, Sally, hey, Tom. And then all of a sudden, it changes, and you're calling them Mr. or you're calling them Mrs. It always made me uncomfortable when somebody called me Pastor Dietz. It's like, you know, why are you calling me Pastor Dietz? I just, that was just weird. And of course, as I told him last night, don't ever call me Reverend. You know, but when people do ask me, when they do ask me, and this is just me, I like to be called Paul. You know, some people will call them by pastor or what have you, but I'm, I'm just that way. I've always been that way. And I think it's because when I was younger and in the ministry starting out, they told the flock that they couldn't call them by their first name. You had to call him by pastor. And uh, at that time, I'd rather be called brother, you know, brother, sister. Of course, that's an excuse. That's a great thing when you don't know people's names. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. How you doing? Anyhow, it depends on what you were raised in. So you see, Peter needed to learn something that he hadn't learned until he failed. And that was what Jesus said to the disciples. And that's found in John 15, 5. It said, and Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If any man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I don't know how many of you believe that. Of course, we believe that as as Christians, but there are a few things that I try to do without the Lord, without his help. There are things I do in my own strength, in my own wisdom, uh, out of experience, and sometimes really out of stupidity, I will try to do things without the Lord's help. Sometimes I live my life like I don't need him. And that's part of the problem. We have a tendency to be self-assured, self-sufficient, self-reliant. We all love to help others and give to others, but what happens when you need to have it done to you? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'll get by. Things are going to be fine. It's hard. You know what it is? It's pride. At least it's, it's on my part. It's pride. And somebody once said, you know, for people that, are, that can be trapped in that, he who looks up and admires his halo gets nothing but a pain in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Peter could be a pain in the neck sometimes, always assuring the Lord that he was better than these other guys that he had chosen. Now let's look at verse 15. Again, uh, John uh, chapter 21, Simon, son of John, some of your translations say Jonah, but Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, what, what, are, what does that mean? What are the these? And what is Jesus referring to? And it could be a couple of things uh, you, you decide. But Jesus was looking around probably at the boats, the fish, uh, the lake, Peter, do you love me more than these? The stuff, the fish, everything, the profession that Peter was in. Are you willing to give this up? Are you willing to let things go? These things that maybe might be more important to you. Do you love me more than your occupation? That's one of the possibilities. And and I said to the group last night, you know, sometimes pastors have to be really careful because sometimes they like their occupation so much 
that sometimes it can go to their head. Sometimes it can be in such a place that, you know, this is where my identity is in my past, in being a pastor, but really your identity has to be in Christ. That's all of us. But personally, I think this is what it means. Peter, do you love me more than these others? Remember, the disciples are, are, the other disciples are around. Is your love for me greater than the love of all these other guys that I've chosen? And the reason I believe that is what it means is because that's exactly what Peter bragged about. That he loved Jesus more than these guys because when our Lord promised that night in the upper room that all the disciples were going to fail, all of the disciples were going to fall away, Peter said, and we probably all know it, well, they might, but I won't, Lord. All these guys may stumble and fall away, but I won't. In fact, Lord, I will even go to prison and even to death if that's what it means. And of course, that's when of course, the Lord looked at him again. Peter opened up his mouth, should have kept it shut. And, and of course, you know, Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me three times. And that probably freaked him out. But this is why we're here. So three times he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Why three times again? We probably know the answer. Because Jesus was denied by Peter how many times? Three times. Three times, Jesus, that he predicted. Now you're going to deny me three times this night, so the Lord was gracious to allow Peter three times that he denied him to affirm how much he loves him. So, listen, anybody can fail. We, we all fail. The issue becomes what do you do when you have failed? And once you have fallen, where do you go from there? Now, I failed. Okay, so now what? Now, maybe you have failed in a marriage. Maybe you have failed with your career or in school. Or maybe you have failed with your children, with your finances, with some of the choices that you've made. It's like, ugh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I've done that. Lord, I wish I could do it all over again. I would do things differently. And sometimes that's just such an ache that can be in your, your heart and mind. But, you, but hopefully, when those things happen, you've learned from it. I've learned from it. Or does it still have a grip on your soul, even to this day? You know, we know the Lord forgives us. We know his blood covers us and cleanses us. We read that in the very beginning in 1 John. We know that. But you know, sometimes we can't forgive ourselves. Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I, I know you love me and you forgive me, but I'm not going to forgive myself. You know, it's almost like how dare we do that? If the Lord's forgiven us and we've taken it before him, we've restored our fellowship with him, then we need to forgive ourselves. It's hard. It's difficult, especially if there's damage that we see that has happened. So we've all failed at something or someone, and Jesus knew that Peter needed to deal with it publicly. And I believe most of the time our sins and our failures and our shortcomings are dealt with privately. I think Lord, that's how the Lord most of the time wants to deal with us, is privately. And we get it before the Lord and it's taken care of. But publicly for Peter, it would, 
not humiliate him, but it would actually affirm him for the kingdom. And Jesus knew that he needed that. Now notice the question. It was not this. Peter, do you know me? Of course Peter knows him. Uh, Peter, will you work harder for me? Peter, will you do this, this, and this? Because, you know, you really blew it back there, so, you know, you're going to have to do such and such to get back on my good graces. No, that's not what the Lord did at all. No, the issue was an issue of love. And the issue is being honest about how much we love the Lord because that's where you and I begin, sometimes again and again. The Lord wants your heart before he wants anything else. You know, it's so easy to do things for the Lord in ministry and for people and, and all that. And again, we can find our self-worth sometimes in that. And it, it is a great feeling. But sometimes our hearts, the Lord just wants our hearts. He just wants us for himself sometimes so he can prepare us for what's next. And once the Lord has your heart, my heart, then he has our mind. Then he has our hands. Then he has the rest of us. And then we can follow after him in a way that will bring glory and honor. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. The New Living Translation says it this way, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So he says, again, back to the, rela- the uh, conversation with Peter and Jesus, Do you love me? Notice the reaction of Peter. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, there are some interesting word plays uh, that you don't get from just reading it in the English. And so let's look at it uh, from the Greek, which I'm not going to be reading Greek words because that would be an impossibility for me to sound them out correctly, so I'm not going to do that. But in Greek, there are several words for love. Two of them are used here, and it is the word agape, and the other word is phileo. Okay, agape is that committed love, that is that sacrifice of sacrificial love, and phileo is more of the friend love. And of course, there's two more other than that. But when Jesus asked the question to Peter, do you love me? Jesus uses the word agape. Do you have that total love of commitment for me, Peter? And that, again, that is the highest form of love. 100% complete love. Peter, do you 100% completely love me? That was the question, and Peter answered and said, yes, you know that I love you. Now, Peter's word for love is different here. When he used the word love, it was different. He, he didn't use the word agape in response to Jesus. He used the word phileo, which means I have fondness for you, Jesus. I have affection for you, Lord. I have friendship for you. And as I have said, if someone has ever been in a very serious relationship uh, before they uh, went down the marriage road and they really loved somebody, their heart was there, and all of a sudden the other person said to you, well, let's just be friends. Or I look at you as a friend. Put the knife in and just turn it like that. You know, sometimes it's a horrible, horrible thing when you feel differently about somebody and they say, yeah, you're my friend. I like you. As, let's be friends. It's like, oh my goodness, I don't need another friend. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of different things over the years. But So this is how it goes. Peter, do you love me? Do you love with a total commitment, 100% complete love for me? And Peter said, well, Lord, I like you a lot. And he is being very honest here. That's important. He couldn't say, of course, Lord, I agape you. 
He couldn't say that because that would have been a lie. He just proved by his actions because he denied the Lord. And the Lord knew that Peter was just fond of him. You're a friend and you're a pal, Lord, and I need you and I have great affection for you, Lord. And so this happens twice. Do you agape me, Peter? I phileo you. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Now look at the third question in verse 17. Simon, now there's a change in the vocabulary. Jesus does not use the highest form of love the third time. And he descends to using Peter's word, phileo, and he says it, in fact, Simon or or Peter, are you fond of me? Is that where your love is for me? Do you just like me? Is there just affection that you have for me? I mean, that's a safe kind of love. And that's what he's claiming here. And Peter was just not totally sold out, committed. He did not have that sacrificial love. And here's what I love about Peter. He appeals to Jesus' knowledge of what the Lord knows of himself, what he knows about Peter. He says, Lord, you know, you know I can't hide this from you. You know how I feel about you. You know that I like you. A second time, you know that I like you. And then a third time, it grieved his heart because Jesus said, yeah, you're fond of me. That, that's the extent of your love, at least right now. Now, there's a point here. He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I'm fond of you. And this signifies a real change in Peter, and it's a good change. You know me. I'll be honest. You know, I mean, because sometimes as Christians, we, we're not at that place with the Lord where we really really love him and we would do anything for him and we would lay down our lives for him. Sometimes we're not there, especially if we're hurt. Sometimes our love is really held back. And because before the fact, Peter was saying to Jesus, you really don't know me because when Peter, when the Lord said you're going to deny me and he told him about this phileo love, basically Peter's saying, Lord, you don't know me well enough to know this. You know, I mean, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to... Of course Jesus knows everything about you. So that was the issue going on here. So what he was saying to Jesus effectively is he was saying, Jesus, you don't know me because if you really knew me, you wouldn't say this about me. So he is not saying that anymore. He is saying, you know all things and you know my love for you is not 100%. At least right now it isn't. So I'll be honest, and that's what the Lord wants with all of us. God wants us to make an honest evaluation of ourselves before him. And I think if God were to ask you, do you love me? You might have have to honestly say, I love you, Lord. I, I, I'm fond of you. I, I couldn't go to heaven without you. I know when I have issues and I have problems, I go to you and you're always there for me. Because as I look over the course of my life and my thoughts and my actions and, and my commitment, it doesn't always show 100% complete love for the Lord. So I admit, I like you, Lord. I need you, Lord. But I'm just not there right now. And that might be where some of you are right now. And that's not a a thing to shame you at all. It's just, where are you right now in that? Especially when you have failed and let the Lord down and your life has changed drastically. It's really hard, especially when you've got control over things. When your life is fairly good, you're in control, uh, things are clicking and moving the way they should, and then all of a sudden everything's 
gone crazy, it's really, then you really see how you are. That's, and that's not always a good picture for any of us. So failure teaches us a lot about ourselves. And our Lord was honest here. And he knows everything about us. And so sometimes we just have to say, Lord, I blew it. I'm not trusting you the way I should trust you. I don't feel, I just don't feel anything for you, Lord, right now. There are those times. So, you know, you get out of your car in the parking lot and you see someone and they say, how are you? And you say, great, I'm doing great. Now, that might be true. It might not be. And if somebody else might be asking you, how are you doing? You know, it's a big thing that we say in Christian circles is, you know, this word fine. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. You know, they don't realize that fine might mean freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Um, someone once said that, and I've never been able to get it out of my mind. So I'm always careful when I say fine. But you know what? Sometimes I am fine. Sometimes I am freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, especially when you have the wrong iPad in front of you. So the reality might be, you know, with people around us, you know, what maybe a mom's going through right now or a dad's going through. He might, you know, somebody might be struggling financially. Somebody just might have lost their job and they're just going through some horrific things, I mean, just, just around us. And the reality might be that the person maybe right next to you feels so far away from God. Maybe not. Maybe there's a loneliness going on. And so, no, I'm not doing great, or you're not doing great. So, so listen, church. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we're the worst place when it comes to honesty, you know, because we want to be positive. But the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And he's our chief physician. And there are people saying, I'm pretty beat up today. Would you pray for me? Or would you give me a word of encouragement? Or just hear me out. Sometimes, you know, just listening to somebody does a great healing in our heart. You know, you were able to say some, something. You were able to vent. You were able to get it off your chest, so to speak. And all of a sudden, you feel better. Sometimes that's what we need to do with people we know, love, and trust. But you know what? Jesus is saying, well, Peter, if it's not 100% love that you have for me, then I'm done with you. Thank you, Lord, that he did not do that. So it's as if Jesus is saying, I can deal with that 75% or 50% place where you're at right now in your love for me. The Lord can deal with that. He can take that. He can take that and he can work with that. In fact, Peter, you love me less than you thought you did. Okay, now you're being honest. Now I'm going to do something with that honesty. I'm going to entrust you with my most precious, precious, precious thing to me, and that is my flock for whom I have shed my blood and whom I want you to be a pastor over and shepherd and feed them and tend to them. And I tell you what, what that did for Peter, like it would do for any one of us, it would birth within us a love that, Lord, I do want to be 100% sold out for you. Not perfect love, but you're sold out for the Lord. And his love for Jesus would grow and if you wonder what happened, did Peter, have, did Peter reach that place of love? He sure did. You know, you know, there are times when you reach that place of that 100% love, you're in a good place, you know, then things happen, you know, refinement comes, and that love is tested, and then all of a sudden you're over here and thinking, wow, I, 
uh, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I, I thought I was in a, I thought I was stronger, and I'm not. Again, the Lord will build on that. You go to the Lord, and he'll build on that, but he'll always, he'll always put you back out to do things for his, for his glory, for his kingdom. So yes, he did. If you read the two letters about Peter in the New Testament, in one verse particularly, he said concerning Jesus that, that we have not seen that he loved him. You read First and Second Peter, and it's a miracle that you see Peter and what the Lord has done through him. So number one, he, could, he can restore us to love. He, he wants to restore us to love Christ completely, which starts with honesty. And number two, we serve Christ unswervingly. And, and, and unswervingly is a very uh, subjective word. What does that mean? I, I never stumble. I never go off the beaten path. And it's, it's mainly, I love you, Lord, and, and I'm always going to love you. Even if I stop going to church, even if I stop trusting people, even if I'm in a horrible, horrible place and I'm distracted and I'm discouraged, I still love you, Lord. I'm beat up. I'm burned out but I still love you. That, that's more of the unswerving uh, view that I see when we serve the Lord. And then, of course, we want those things, hopefully, to be restored. Now, look at verse 18. Verse 18, uh, John 21, 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you will grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. That's kind of a terrifying verse, you know, thinking, you know, somebody going to put me in a home and put me away and, you know, not let me have my freedom, take the car keys away. I know that's not what it means. It's just, anyhow, when I, when I look at it at the surface, but, but Jesus has, has spent a few verses talking about Peter's life, and now he addresses Peter's death, his martyrdom. And the term for stretch out in this verse here is really talking about crucifixion. Look at the first part of uh, uh, verse 19. Now he said, signifying what kind of death that would glorify God. Now, negative, Paul. This is this, the stuff is just so so negative. I I, I need to get back to talk, to hearing my TV preacher and what what he is saying about this stuff. You know, sometimes you see some crazy stuff on television. You know, there's there's great teachers and then there's teachers that are, you know they're just kind of kind of out there. And uh, hopefully you're, you're knowing the word enough where you know that that doesn't seem right. But this is a very positive thing for Peter because Peter failed. He failed when, when the Lord said all this would happen. And so now Peter is essentially getting another chance to, to do this again. But he's gonna, it's going to be done to him when he's old. So if you look at the story in, uh, I think it's Acts chapter... Let's see, it's, we're not going to go there, but it's in Acts chapter 12. They had just killed James. They beheaded him, and so now they're going to do the same thing to Peter. They're going to kill him. So he's, so he's chained between two guards, and in Acts chapter 12, it says Peter was sleeping. How, how do you sleep between two guards when you know you're probably going to be, your life's going to be taken the next day? Well, Peter remembered the words of Jesus you're, this is going to happen when you're old. Peter was still young. He still had another, another uh, three decades to leave. So he was like, hey, I'm going to get some rest. These guys can't touch me. These guys can't touch me. And, and that's actually good news. You know, I, I wasn't going to say this, but, you know, when we hear horrific things about Israel and about how they want to wipe them off the face of the earth, 
I'm never worried about that because we know that's not going to happen. So you may send everything against them, and you're not going to be able to wipe them off the face of the map because God has protected. He's got a promise. I pray for Israel, but I know that I know what it says in the Word about Israel. So it's, it's really cool when we see these promises and we take hold of these promises for our own lives personally. I mean, we don't know when our last uh, you know, final, uh, when we're going to be going. So Peter was very encouraged about that. And so I love the way that his life was changed. It's revolutionized his strength. He just, it just did something. So failure will do that. Now, if you're in the middle of failure right now, and it's very hard to see past it, God is also going to take care of you. You know, when, again, when somebody tries to tell you, hey, God's got you, it's going to be okay. I've even had people, and this sounds horrible, but I've had people when I was so distressed, can I pray for you? Sure. You know, at real, I'm saying, well, yeah, I don't care. Um, they're praying for me, and sometimes I'm... <laughs> I just, I'm like this, and they're praying for me, and I'm just like, you know. I, I'm not saying, I'm not being disrespectful, but in my heart and mind, I'm just thinking, okay, come on, finish this up. Yeah, I, I'm not in a good place, but the prayer is still effective. The prayer is still doing, even though I don't feel anything, maybe I'm even angry, and yet, you know, you can feel that way at times. So, so to finish this up, so love Christ completely, meaning honestly, serve Christ unswervingly, keeping your heart on him no matter what's going on. And third is the, the restoration in failure is follow Christ continually. Follow Christ continually. Again, John 21, 19. Now, now this he said, signifying what kind of death that would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me Here's the good news. These are the ty- I want to tell you the type of friends that I want. I want to have the type of friends that if you don't see them for, for many, many years, okay, and it's, you know, it's nice to keep in touch. It's nice to, hey, how are you doing, Facebook, uh, you know, all the things that we can do now with communication. But I love the type of friendships that I can pick up right where I left off. Don't you? Don't you love those friendships that there's no guilt, there's not, you know, why have you called me, you know, I'm, I'm upset with you, you know, what happened to you, and that's, you know, it's different, obviously, with, with maybe the family dynamic, but I love those types of friendships. I'm seeing all kinds of people here that I haven't seen in years, and I feel like we can just catch up where we left off with Jesus even through our failure, even through our disappointment. Maybe we went through a horrific divorce or, or maybe we're grieving the loss of a loved one and we've been kind of taken out of the game, so to speak. And God's saying, yeah, you've got to go through some stuff. You've got to heal. You're not fit for ministry right now. But then as you are coming around, then I'm going to pick up where we left off. It may, be, it may look different. The scenery may be different because of what you've been through. But then God's saying, follow me. But, but Lord, do you see what happened to me and what I went through? And Lord, that really, really bad decision I did, and they really got upset with me, and I hurt them. I know. I know all about it. Follow me. Let's go. And sometimes the healing that we have in our lives that's taking place is he'll take us into the next chapter, still needing 
to be healed. It may not be complete. If we think we have to be fully complete and fully healed to do the next thing for God, you'll never go to the next step. You'll never hit the next chapter because there'll always be something that sometimes he finishes what he's doing from the previous chapter in the next chapter of life. And God is so gracious about healing us on both ends. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful and and thankful that your grace is sufficient. Lord, you, you know our faults. When we said yes to you in salvation, you knew what you were getting. You knew the good, the bad, and the ugly. You knew that there will be times we would fail you, you and fail others. And Lord, some of us have certain things that we're maybe still having paralysis over. We just can't let go. Or we are feeling the effects of it, and it's still very painful Lord, you know all about those things. And you know, Lord, that sometimes we have to forgive ourselves and move forward and trust you again. Lord, there are those folks that publicly we may have to make things right, but we know that's not with every situation. So give us the courage to step out and trust you, even with our, you know, not complete love that we might have right now. Because we know you commissioned Peter with knowing everything about him, with knowing he had just denied you. You commissioned him. Lord, you're commissioning us as well, maybe to go forward when we have felt like we couldn't yet. But we come to you first, Lord, first and foremost, and we trust you. And we know what you'll say to us. Go, 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 go serve me. And some of us may still be in that tender place of, Just soak it up right now. Don't worry about doing anything for me right now. Just let me have your heart. And Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they've never called on you for salvation, we thank you that you've made provision for that. You said anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if if maybe some people here, the Lord's tugging on your heart if you don't know him. And if that's you, just... Simply ask Jesus privately, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Make me your son, your daughter, through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, again, which is so sufficient. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen.